we were looking for our big hype conference video, and we couldn't find it. So you got the one that you've maybe seen a couple times before. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Andy. I'm, I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, you heard uh, Gerald, who did a great job leading us in that uh, time of worship through offering. We're a part of a movement called Every Nation. I'm proud to be part of it. I've been a part of it since college. It's where I got engaged and really reached as a student and understood what lordship was and discipleship. I grew up loving the Lord. I grew up in church, but I had not encountered or experienced spiritual family like that before. So every nation is our global, the global ministry that we're a part of. And so this week, literally 80 different countries are coming together for a time of worship and praise and preaching and vision. And it is an exciting time. Uh, it's like being a part of the United Nations, and people will come in on different nights in like native dress, and they'll be singing in, in their native tongues, and it's an a, it's an amazing thing uh, that that many of us have never had the opportunity to experience. And some people have already left for it; they're already down in Orlando, Florida. Others will be leaving in the next uh, day or so. But here's what I want to invite you to do: if you're not going, that's okay. My encouragement is for you to follow along if you have Facebook or if you're on Instagram and watch all the different highlights and videos and pictures and be paying attention in your email uh, for links where we're, we're hoping to be able to send you to be able to hear the different messages and different podcasts from things that are preached and taught uh, and, and the people are equipped. with. It's going to be an incredible time of celebration. The good news is, though, even if you're not able to make it, it's not the only celebration we have coming up. On August 11th, does anybody know what's happening on August 11th? So it's, we've got like four people that, that know what's happening, but that's changing right now, okay? It's in the newsletter, and we've had it on social, okay? But I realize life is busy. But our church is turning five, okay, five years old. And it started out with like three people in a living room, okay, and slowly has grown and become and grew out of a house and then grew out of a clubhouse, and now we're here in our school, and we've got a campus ministry, and we've helped start, and we've helped send teams to Scotland, and we've, we're sending people to Mexico and Cuba and Romania, and God's doing incredible things. And so we don't want to miss this opportunity to celebrate. And I want you to hear this. I don't care if you've been here literally one week. The invitation is for you. It's also for those who've been here the entire time, the lifers, right? Those who, come on, Jasmine and Kellen, if you don't know who they are, they're in the front row right now. I just embarrassed them. But they were couple number, basically numero uno, numero dos. We've got a couple of you who've been here since literally the very beginning and it's a time to just celebrate god's faithfulness amen and then a good time to do that to laugh poke fun crack some jokes eat some food we literally have a catered dinner that evening at 5 p.m right back here on august 11th uh that sunday so mark it on your calendars all the cheesy things that we say you don't want to miss it well you don't want to miss it uh so august 11th Stand to your feet, church. We're going to read for the last time uh, in this series, Psalm 23, together as we wrap up our summer series. 
and we have been mining out one passage in the Bible. Psalm 23, arguably one of the most famous scriptures uh, in, in the Bible. David, the poet warrior, writes Psalm 23, and today in in typical Old Testament custom, we are going to read the word together out loud. Ready? Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You can have a seat. I love the fact that we've been in one place. Uh, we don't typically spend this much time in one area of the Bible for this amount of time. But I don't know about you, but I have found the passage coming to mind a great deal. I have found uh, myself uh, thinking about it. I've, it's come to attention in the car. Uh, it, when I'm stressed, I remind myself, God, you lead me beside quiet waters. You restore my soul. You do all these things. When I'm going through the darkest valley, you're the one who, who brings me through it. You prepare a place for me. You prepare a table for me. You are my provision. You are my protector. You are my shepherd. You're the one who brings me to safe places, to good places, to places that have life. That's what Jesus does for us. David, not even knowing the fullness of what he's writing about, Jesus is the fulfillment of what David is writing about. And even of his own declaration, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice. Do you hear his voice today? Is God leading you today? Is there a shepherd that's truly in charge of your heart today? These are good things for us to wrestle with. The last verse is where we're going to camp out today. Surely, 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 your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of I'm going to dwell in your house, God. Houses are important. People often say, statistically speaking, the most stressful times in a marriage are moving. Many of you are like, true. Right? Buying a house is both one of the most important things that you'll do. It's one of the most expensive things that you will do. But then also just moving into that house while exciting, it can also be stressful. There's a lot of important things that revolve around homes, are there not? Amy and I had a sinkhole open up under our driveway a few weeks ago. 650 cubic 
feet. As in like a ball would roll under it and it would be like, I mean, where'd it go? We really don't know. We had to have it filled, okay? But understand, when it's your home, it's stressful. We literally were like, our house is going up in flames. Like, the world is ending. What's going on right now, right? It's all fine. We had somebody come out, fix it. How we look at our homes and where we live and where we dwell is very important to us. We spend a tremendous amount of time and money dressing up our homes, do we not? People come into the house and they feel either a sense of peace and life or they don't. But if they do, where do they end up hanging out? Oftentimes, the kitchen, right? The kitchen in the home. It's the heart of the house. And here David is writing in his concluding sentence. He says, surely... Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's not talking about salvation in this moment, in the way that we talk about someone getting saved in the New Testament church. To dwell in God's house is to dwell in his temple. The temple is where God's presence was was literally dwelling at this time. It was a tangible presence presence of God that dwelled in the temple. And when David is saying, this is what I long for, and this is what I want, he's literally saying that your presence is what I want more than anything else. I want to dwell in your house. I want to dwell in your temple and never have your presence leave me. where we dwell, where we rest, and where we find peace, God's house, so to speak, is a really important conversation. Homes are important. Where God's presence rests is really important. And your willingness or your hunger for more of God has everything to do with this moment right there was a story in the news that you, you might have seen. and just illustrate this a little bit further. There was a family in Nebraska that lost their farm, their homestead, sitting on 80 acres. There was a family member who didn't really have the family's best interest at heart. And through the chain of events, through selling it off, through foreclosure, through all the things that happened, The family lost the farm due to a family member's uh, poor choices. And so the farm, the homestead, the home, all went up on the auction block. Okay? And a young man in the family who'd grown up at the farm, who grew up at the homestead, understood the value of what he had experienced and his family experienced, not just emotionally, but literally also physically and vocationally knew it was a long shot to go to the auction house and place a bid on a farm that used to be his family's farm. But he went anyway, and he went with his dad. And if you've ever been to an auction house, you've got somebody that talks, they talk a lot faster than me. And I I can't even imitate it. 
So that sounded like I was just doing like a tribal chant. Sorry about that. But they, they, the motor mouth begins and the bids start rolling in and, you know, the gavel drops and the, the, bidding, the bidding begins. That's what an auction looks like. And so this homestead with home and acreage all goes live. And the first bid starts, and it's from the young man. And something very unusual happened at this auction house in that no other bids were placed, with 200 farmers standing present, all there to place bids on different properties. And this young man gets his bid going into the shock of, of the auctioneer, and to any other bystanders that were there, no other bids were placed on this young man's property. And what had happened is that all the farmers secretly, literally 200 farmers had gotten together and said, nobody bid on this young man's house. We want to make sure that his house stays. His house. Because homes are important. The memories, the presence, the life that happens, it's important. And this young man won his property back for a song. Ephesians 2.13, Paul writes about us and the home that we share with God here in just a minute. He says, he says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's verse 13. You who are far away, something has happened to you. You've been changed. You were far away, and now you are near. You were outside the house, and now you are kicking it in the kitchen. And then in verse 19, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You are part of God's house. You are living, whether it feels like it or not, if you have professed faith in Jesus, the scriptures say that you are a part of his people. You are not a foreigner and you are not a stranger. You are not the guy who comes and knocks on the door to offer a new pest control service to you that doesn't really belong inside the house and you kind of talk to them at the front door and this is as far as you're going to come, buddy. You know what I'm talking about or your apartment complex, or wherever you live. If that's what you do for a living, I, I'm sorry. I get tired of that on my door. I used to sell vacuums, so I get it. That's right. If you didn't know that, fun fact, Pastor Andy sold vacuums back in the day. Okay, we're moving on. You are not a stranger, and you are not a foreigner. You have been made part of God's house. And if you are part of of his house, then there is a manner in which we live where we can experience God's presence or, as all of you also know, there is a manner in which you can also live under the roof of the house and you can create strain and strife and great difficulty. If you've ever lived in a house where there is strain, and where there are people not talking to each other, or there's shouting, or things getting thrown. It's stressful. If you've ever been a dinner guest at someone's house, and the couple that invited you over 
gets into a real fight in front of you. It's one of the most awkward scenarios to find yourself in. You know, you just kind of do the, you know, the, the, the looking around, and, you know, you just, Amy and I have had those moments. You have them in ministry. Some of our friends, you know, in Orlando, they were new, new marriage. And I'm, when I tell you that it went, I mean, it went. And uh, it was ministry 911. But until the, they were calm enough to talk about it, Amy and I just kind of, you know, ate our macaroni and cheese, you know, until, until it was, it's awkward. Strain under a roof is difficult, but we can all be the person that's creating it. How do we dwell in God's house? I'm not talking about how do you get saved and then what, you know, the conversation is, oh, I've lost my salvation or something like that. No, that's not the conversation today. The conversation literally is, how do you have the kind of relationship with God where you long for his presence and his presence is leading you and it's forming you and shaping you and it's literally making you into someone new? Or how do you live in God's presence or how are you in God's house and yet still choosing to live a life where your actions are like sandpaper? You're creating strain because you're just not willing to really live as someone in God's household. God's house, God wrote God's rules, right? I say that to my kids all the time. <laughs> I thought I'd never be the dad who says that, but you know what? I'm the dad of this house, and therefore this is what we're doing in this house. I'm not asking for your opinion on it. Do it, you know? And the kid's are like, okay. Brush my teeth right now. I'm going to take out the trash. That's right. You will. You will. Because this isn't your house. Amy and I create the, the rules and the boundaries and what it looks like to relate to one another. And in the same way, God has done the exact same thing for us. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take a look at that. Can we do that? If we are members of God's household, what does it look like to live in his house? We're going to be in one passage, and we're going to unpack this just a little bit further today. And it's Colossians chapter 3. Paul is writing to uh, this young church in Colossae, Colossae, however you would like to say it this morning. Uh, Colossians 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 1. And he says, since you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Christ in glory. I'm going to just say this to you one more time in short. You are to fix your heart and your mind on things above. Set it on something else. Why? Because you have died. And your life is now hidden with Christ. So therefore, you died with Jesus on the cross. The penalty of sin has been removed. And the power of sin has been broken. Now, these sound really nice. And you've got some great church platitudes right here and Things that, if you've been to church before, I know you've heard that. Sin has been removed, yay. It's true. But 
But sometimes by virtue of you hearing it a thousand times, you forget the magnitude of what this thing really is. I want you to hear this, church. The power of sin over your life has been shattered. The noose of death, slavery to sin is that doesn't mean that you don't have some things that you're struggling with. I get it. But you are no longer helpless to sin in the enemy working in your life. You are not. And not only that, the penalty of your sin has been removed and it has been paid for. And if you have forgotten the weight of that, it is impossible to describe. This past week, I watched a little bit of the strongman competition. You guys remember those? You ever watch any of those? I don't even know what channel it was on. I used to love watching those. I would never do any of the things. People are like picking up trees and throwing them, and you're like, "What? how does this even happen? Right? And there was this, what was called the hammer. And the, 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 the end of the hammer was 365 pounds, just the tip of this hammer. And then you had the, the actual, like, handle. And these guys were picking the hammer up, hoisting it, pushing it up, and then they would have to walk it up and push it all the way down. That's a difficult description. I, I realize that. But when I literally, you're deadlifting just 365 pounds, getting it here, pushing it straight up with your arms, and then you're pushing this hammer so that it's standing up and then it tips down. And there's three of them that you got to do. And one after the other, the weight of it is literally crushing these huge guys. They get one done, and then the, the hammer just sits, you know, and they can't go any further for, for hammer two or hammer three. They're done. The weight of it is crushing until the Swede gets up, and he's seven feet six inches tall and he picks that thing up and he's screaming and he's yelling in a language I don't understand and the announcer is saying he's literally screaming not Thor's hammer my hammer and he's literally just hulking out on this thing and I thought what an incredible picture of what sin feels like if you've ever worked out or you've had too much weight on a bar and you know this is going nowhere, right? Like too much got put on that thing or you've just maxed out and you don't have anything left, right? You better hope you've got somebody spotting you, right? And everyone's seen the videos, you know, of the person, the, the, the bars are just crushing their chest. The weight of sin is oppressive. It crushes you. It breaks you. There is it is hopeless without someone who has the true strength to do what you cannot do. And that is pick that thing up and throw it. Like the little wimpy thing that it is to the Savior that we serve. You know what? Sin is nothing to Jesus because he lived a perfect life and he did what you and I could not do. We couldn't do it. There was no hope. It's not Satan's hammer, it's my hammer. 
right? And he just breaks sin over your life and mine. What an amazing truth. And oftentimes we forget it. And that's why Paul is literally saying, set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above, meaning the truth of this. You died with Christ. All of these things have no hold on you anymore. And yet there are going to be lots of times where it feels like it. Satan's going to come knocking at the front door. And you're going to feel, once again, you're going to feel potentially the weight of this, and you need to remind yourself, fix your eyes, fix your heart, set them on Jesus and the things above. Jesus who is sitting where? At the right hand of God. Why is he able to do that? Because he crushed the head of the snake by doing what you and I could not do. And so when you're having a bad day, what does it look like to live in God's house, to be a son and daughter in his home? It's to remember that he's in charge and that he's king and that he is the great overcomer. And when you are tempted to think otherwise and that you have to do this in your own strength, think again. Set your eyes, set your heart on things above. Jesus is your overcoming conqueror. Amen? Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, Filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, for Christ is all and is in all. What is Paul saying here in Colossians 3? You died with Jesus on the cross. The penalty of sin has been removed. The power of sin has been broken. And a transformed heart leads to transformed living. A transformed heart leads to transformed living. A transformed heart should implicate. If you've really been changed, then you are changed. And I want you to hear this. If you have not experienced God changing you, then maybe he's never changed you. Well, you can grow up around Christianity and you can grow up around church and never have bowed your knee to the one true king. Oh, you can do that all right. You can be around all these things that feel like faith, and yet you're riding the coattails of everybody else, and you've never actually produced your own which is what the Pharisees did, and Jesus spoke to over and over and over again. It doesn't matter that your, your, your fathers and mothers were sons of Abraham. That has no bearing on this. Who is the Lord of your life? And if this is true, then this is what is produced. A transformed heart leads to transformed living. 
love this. I, I first of all, I realize that everyone's a work in progress. And I'm reading a list that's a that's a mile long of things that we're to put to death. And sometimes, you know, yes, the truth is that Jesus is overcome. And yet sometimes we've also created such well-worn paths of how we do things and how we live and how we cope and how we sin that sometimes it takes a minute to really experience true and full freedom. Other times, Jesus sets people free of addiction on, a, on the dot. And then other times, people have to really experience some counseling and some therapy or some rehab to get the freedom that they need. Why does God do it one way and do it another over here? I don't have perfect answers for you on that. But here's what I do know. I do know that we are to put to death that which does not honor God in his house. I was at Panera this past week, and there was, a, there was an older gentleman, much older gentleman, sitting at the table that had the little outlet that I needed. Had my backpack on. I was going to be working on the message, and you know I'm kind of doing one of these. And he says, "You need my table, son?" I said, "No, no, no. I'm fine. You just you eat, and whenever you're free, I'll zip over there." He said, "No, I'd feel bad." So he moves over to a little table, and he's just drinking his coffee. Got his leg crossed. He's watching me pull my bag out and my Bible out. And we have a little conversation, and he's done it. But then I, I see an employee, a manager of Panera, comes over to him and begins to talk to him. And she's asking him his evaluation of their new employees. They're all working there and stuff. And so I'm kind of side-eyeing this conversation because this guy does not look like he works for Panera at all. She walks away. And so I asked him, I said, do you, do you work for Panera? Like, is this, you own this or something? I don't know how Panera works. And he said, no, 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 but I'm here every day. Literally, every single day. I come to Panera. He said, I know everything on the menu. I know everybody that works here. And I know when somebody's a good employee, they're going on down. He said, so the managers come over and talk to me about what I think of their new employees because they, they base whether this person needs correction on things a lot of times on, on what I'm telling them from my experience as a constituent here in Panera. So we're sitting there, and I think to myself, well, that's pretty amazing. Manager comes back over. And he says, your new employees aren't that good. She says, I, I know. I'm going to have to tell them that. He said, yeah, you, you are. And she said, it's going to hurt their feelings. He said, yeah, well, that's what chocolate ice cream's for. <laughs> it's like, you're my man. Yeah. What he was getting at is such an amazing principle, though, church. Number one, and not everything is about your feelings. And I love a good conversation about feelings, and I love the world that we're in, and I love the culture that we have in America, but we have elevated feelings above literally everything else in our, in, in our culture. It reigns supreme. Nothing, over, nothing trumps how you feel about a given situation. In fact, how you feel literally is truth now. Which is insane. Feelings are not truth. Truth is truth. Right? And what she is saying in this moment is that, or the older gentleman, is that you've got people 
that are supposed to be representing Panera and the brand of Panera, which I know pretty well because I'm here every single day. And I'm telling you that these people are not representing you very well. And what happens when we put up with sin in our lives, what we are saying is that we are willing to profess out of our mouth that we are Christians, but our lives really do not reflect what Jesus died for, which is your freedom which is holiness, which is righteousness. That's not what Jesus died for, for you and I to just play around with sin in our lives. And if we really want to take this to the fullest measure that we're talking about, we can't not talk about the epidemic crisis of the church and pornography. I can't think of of sin in a general context more that people put up with more in the privacy of their home than things like porn. And when Jesus says, or when Paul writes that we're members of God's house, and that this is what it looks like to be in God's house, and David is longing to dwell in the house of the Lord, and the implications are that a transformed heart would lead to transformed living. And that means, ladies and gentlemen, They need to get put at the foot of the cross, and they need to stay there. Whether that's anger, rage, malice, gossip, sexual morality, pornography, lust, greed, things that look like that. Looks like a life that honors God. You aren't first. Jesus and his kingdom. We can't get in. We're not going to get into the entire conversation about discipleship today and what it looks like to continue following God. But I am convinced that when people are hungry for who God is and they want him in their life and they're willing to read their Bible and pray, it is amazing what God will show them on how to live. It is amazing what happens when people begin to feel convicted on their own and no one has ever talked to them. No one has ever had the conversation with them. Is it out? And now, there we go. Well, sorry, I don't know how long I was preaching without sound coming through, but good times. Okay. If you're listening on the podcast, we just had some microphone challenges. But you know what? Um, uh, Feelings are for chocolate ice cream, so get over it. (laughs) So, okay, good times. Ladies and gents, if we, let's just cut to the chase. I know that was a little bit distracting, sorry about that. If you profess to be changed by Jesus, then live changed by Jesus. It's as simple as that. Live changed. And when you feel the weight of trying to overcome sin on your own, the 365-pound hammer, remember who already broke the power of it. And Get some friends around you and talk to them and pray together, and get involved in your church, and get more involved in your church, and be honest. And it's amazing the work that God will do in your life. But we're not done. Number three, first one was 
was simple. You died with Jesus on the cross. The penalty of sin has been removed and the power of sin has been broken. The second one is that a transformed heart leads to transformed living. The third one is this. Colossians 3, 15 through 17. Excuse me, verse 12 through 14. Back that up just a little bit. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You can see the, the continued stream of thought that Paul is giving us. That in God's household, as a citizen of God's kingdom, there is a manner in which you conduct yourself, and there is a manner in which you direct your thoughts and your heart, and it has bearing on the very actions that you have in your life. In fact, while there are things that you are to put to death in your life, there are also things that you need to put on. Meaning, I am taking this off, and I'm letting this die, but it doesn't just end with that. There are things that I literally now get to put on and wear. I'm clothing myself with, with, myself with the clothing of Christ. And what are those things? Well, it's love. Compassion, kindness. Humility, gentleness, and patience. I don't like any of those things in my flesh. Right? Who does? Most people don't. This is what we get to, to move forward in Christ with. This is how God helps grow us. We had a, a Halloween party in Florida. Excuse me, it wasn't a Halloween party. It was a party that was around Halloween. It was October. It wasn't our party, but we were invited to it, and we were on staff at our church in Orlando, and our senior pastor and his wife showed up to the party. And by virtue of it being relatively close to Halloween, they assumed it was a costume party. But it was not a costume party. And if you know who I used to work with, he's seven feet tall, and his wife is about as tall, and they come in fully dressed to the nines for a costume party, and no one else is wearing a costume. No one else is wearing what they have on. And I got to thinking about this, that, that, that in one breath and in one sense, we, we oftentimes dress ourselves in Christ with all the things that that don't matter. And we mentioned it last week. How many times that we have conviction over things that don't matter and yet we're passive about the things that do. How many times is that true? Where all of a sudden you're in a Facebook fight and I mean you, you it's like you, the world is going to end if you do not tell this person off. It's not that important. And your fight is stupid, might I just add. It's unimportant. You don't even know this person. Let it go and be done. Clothe yourselves with the right things. Love, humility, compassion. 
out. Duties of planting a church in a school are that you get to set all these things up every single week. Just don't work that way. God is still good. Number four. Lastly, the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Message of Christ. Because let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Psalms. Next slide. Hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Wow, this is a day for technology, is it not? Praise God. Woo! And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. <laughs> Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay. The peace of Christ rule. You read the scriptures, there are significance to different terms that we don't like But when Paul is writing about letting this athletic term, the, the word rule here is the same terminology that referee a sporting play where a ref or an umpire is calling foul or fair or right play wrong play and when when Paul is writing this and he's saying this is what it looks like these are the things that that kind of make up the life of a Christian it's not all these petty things it's not the kind and style of worship that you have on Sunday mornings. It's not whether you meet at 10 or whether you meet at 11. It's not whether you have 5,000 people or have 50 people. It's really not whether you have a girl handling a microphone or a guy handling a microphone. It's not whether your church is black or white or what your percentage is or your breakdown. It's not about the amount of giving. These are the things that define the quality of life for you as you are trying to dwell in the house of the Lord. And if you lose sight of any of these things, you will find yourself in such unrest. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That means when the weight of the world and the weight of your week and the craziness of the day is knocking on your heart, the Spirit of God that lives inside you, the Prince of Peace, gets to call the shot as to whether or not this comes into your soul or whether this stays on the outside. This is not welcome into God's house. This is not welcome into the temple of the Holy Spirit at work inside of you. So when things are awry and when things are dislocated and when things feel difficult and stressful or you're moving or you're, the weight of the world just feels on your shoulders, Peace of Christ, very prince of peace, is the one who sits on the throne gets to call the shot. As that doesn't always get to take a deep breath and say, God, 
you can. Get over it. This is what it looks like for someone who professes Oh Jesus. That's what it looks like for you to live. It's not you being stressed out all the time. That's not God's best for you. That is not what it looks like to live in God's house. It's not living a life that's a train wreck compared to what God says for you to live like, bound up in sin. It's not you being stressed out by the weight of the world. That is not what it looks like to follow Christ. If Christ is king of your heart, then there are things that you do. You don't have to, but you get by virtue of him being your king. Stand to your feet. I know there have been a... Guys, I can hear it now in my microphone. I know it's probably very distracting going in and out like it is. I apologize for that. We're going to work very hard on getting that remedied by next week. We'll post some of these notes online for you if, if it just so distracting that you weren't able to catch it all. But understand this. There's a manner in which we live our lives where we experience the fullness of God's presence and there's a manner in which we live our lives. You'll be a Christian, but you just experience the fullness of who God is. Colossians 3 lays it out. If you want to leave here and grab lunch later this week, do it. Don't just be a hearer of the word. Father, we love you and we thank you. Thank you that you are good and gracious and kind. That you move in our hearts. God, even in the midst of distractions, you are, are gracious. And I'm praying now that you would speak and minister, uh, Lord, to us this week. God, we thank you for this time in Psalm 23. Lord, you truly are our great shepherd. Shepherd us today. And that we pray. Amen. Church, a uh, couple things. Number one, be praying for the Go Conference for every nation. Be paying attention uh, for uh, the time to, to start booking movie tickets. Uh, if you've subscribed to our tech service, some of you have opted out. Well, that's fine. If you've subscribed, you will be getting information on how to get tickets here shortly. Don't forget about the school supplies. Have a great week. See you next Sunday.